0: Okay, there we go. Um, I want to ask you one question uh, just because I, I want to talk about this briefly. But And and I realize this is the dumbest question ever, but I adopted kids. <laughs> I adopted kids, and so I just want to make sure that I'm right that you did adopt those children. Is that correct? Yes,
1: I adopted three I mean, children, yes.
0: You know, I just didn't want to say and you'd be like, No, my husband was just really ethnic <laughs> <laughs> So I just thought it was no. a lot better to you know, ask. It's the
1: You can never you never know. It's <laughs> well, it's
0: the lawyer in me. Um, you know, so I'll um I'll uh, definitely say that, but I wanted to get that out of the way before we started. Yeah. Sure, so. no. Okay. Well, um, welcome, Denise. I'm I'm really glad to have you come on the new podcast and um just wanted to start out with a few things um you're actually from Missouri as well right from over in yes. um, in Kansas City
1: Yes uh born and raised in the Independence Blue Springs area okay. suburbs of Kansas City yep
0: and um and tell me i i met you when we were both at PennCon this summer um yes. tell me how many kids you have is there a whole car full, a clown car full coming out? I mean, how many um, kids
1: I have more than a car full, depending on what car you have. I have six.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah and... they run the gamut though. Like, my youngest is eight and my oldest is 28. So wow. Yeah. Although most people don't guess that I have a 28-year-old. So I well, tell yeah. them I had him when I was like 10 years old. So,
0: I was going to yeah. say I was <laughs> in kindergarten, so we'll have to check yeah. and, um And so... Uh, tell me, Denise, because you, uh, I mean, you've become kind of a phenomenon. I mean, you've you have had so much success, and oh, it's wow. really great to watch. And Can
1: I tell my it, children that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you should. In fact, you'll have recorded proof of that. You're, you're there you go. And so um, tell me, how did you decide to start writing? Tell me how that happened.
1: Um. I have always written since I was a little girl. I started my first book in fourth grade, and I didn't finish it. i say it was the first of a long line of unfinished
0: books.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it's so funny because I always knew I was going to be an author, and it was just a matter of when it was going to happen. And so um, in my 40s, my early 40s, I was like, wow, if you're going to be an author, you probably ought to finish a book. And so even then, though, I I didn't do it. So – um, I didn't finish my first book until 2000. And, in 2009, yes, NaNoWriMo.
0: 2009, so...
1: 2009, but I started many books that I never finished.
0: Do you ever think about going back and, and working on some of those?
1: Um. Actually, I think about going back and finishing my NaNoWriMo book because I wrote it, and I started to reread it, and I realized it was utter crap, and so I was going to revise <laughs> it. Yeah, no, it was bad. <laughs> I, now, I told my children if I if they try to publish it after I die, I will come back and haunt them. And it won't be like Casper; it will be like poltergeist.
0: So I'm like, don't do it. Just don't and do it. So, and so, just so that everyone knows the terminology, Nano Wimo. Yes. Tell tell us what that is.
1: Uh National Novel Writing Month. The month and of November. November has been, right? been designated that, and um, people are challenged to write 50,000 words that's the actual definition of a novel (laughs) and so Um, in 30 days right so I told myself when I heard about that in November of 2009 I was like okay you're either going to finish a book or you're going to shut up about it so um I plotted it out and I started it November 1st and on November 30th I had 69,000 words and I finished it on December 10th and I was like holy cow I actually did it and Uh um yeah, I think I've written twenty three books since then. So and wow. that's just novels. I've got I probably I don't even know how many novellas and short stories and yeah. Right. So, yeah, but, once I once I wrote finished that first one, it was like boom, I just took off.
0: Well that's so. what I was gonna say. Don't you think that there really is something just to knowing that you can do it?
1: Yes. Yeah, that confidence you get from finishing it. And like I said, that first book was utter garbage.
0: And I knew it. <laughs>
1: It was bad. It was so bad. But it was like you learned a lot from that. I think a lot of people, like, in the olden, quote, olden days before self-publishing, I mean, it was pretty common for people to write several books before they found a book that was, like, worthy of querying and stuff. So, um, I mean, there's something to be said about, like, I love that I'm in charge of my own career because I got turned down by a lot of agents for three different books. But there's also something to be said about honing that craft. Because that was part of the process, you were constantly like honing your writing and your plotting and your story and your character development because you were trying to get um, someone to be interested in your book, and so I think some of that has been lost with self publishing because we can just write a book and throw it up there without anybody editing it right and so right. um i mean i i well I don't want to go back to that old. Thing because I would probably still not be published otherwise. Nobody <laughs> wanted, nobody wanted my book, especially Twenty Eight and a Half Wishes. I mean, the book that that series of just took off. But and then I and, would not be here now if I had well, still and, published
0: And so let's let's talk about that because I mean that's probably your best-known book is Twenty Eight and a Half Wishes.
1: Yeah, which is so ironic because well, it's the first one I self-published and uh-huh. then um a couple months later a few months later i self-published chosen um my chosen first book of my chosen series which is an urban fantasy and that series just took off like gangbusters that was in 2011 and that's uh-huh. how i was known i was known for my urban fantasy series uh-huh. um and then i sold a, a series um, to 47 north the *Cursekeeper* for series because of that series i had an agent so then i I parted ways with but then I got another agent um Jim McCarthy because of that series and because of 28 I I he he read those after I um published those about a year later um but yeah no it was the, so I was first known for um my urban fantasy series and then I was selling t- 28 and a half wishes, I was selling the Rose Garner series, but I was only releasing a book a year, and so my audience wasn't that large, and so mm-hmm. it was just kind of piddling along, and so when I released the third book, I only had 2,000 sales that first month, which I know to a lot of authors is like, oh my gosh, i still to
0: yeah, have 2,000 sales in a the first month. a lot
1: of people that would love that, yeah. Right, no, exactly, but I had known that like my... My urban fantasy series, you know, like I would release that and I would sell like five or six thousand in a month. And so, you know, I'm I'm a single mother. I'm supporting my family with my writing, so you know I have to make sure that whatever I'm I'm publishing is selling. And I'm gonna write what I love, but I also have to look at the, you know, what is selling and what can I can I provide for my family with. And so with um, Rose Gardner, um, like I said, the third book came out and the reviews were fantastic. And I was like, okay, I I don't think it's that that there's not an audience for it. I think it's a discoverability issue. And so then I came up with like kind of a multi-tiered plan to like boost that series, and it totally worked. Yeah, my last three, I think my last three releases is at the New York Times list. And so, uh, and my last book was number eight in November.
0: So now, now just so that we're kind of going through this um the rose Gardner series um now the first book in that series 28 and a half wishes is free yes yes and, and yes. so anyone can go on their on their nook or on their kindle or on their ipad and they can get a copy of that book for absolutely free yes exactly and that's not something we're used to hearing from New York Times best-selling authors, is it right?
1: No, no, it's not. And it's like there's a lot of authors that are very resistant. You know, I put, I put months and hours into this book. Why would I give it away for free? Um, right. But you know, I sold it at first. I sold it when I first published in 2011. I was following. You know, I studied the market, and so I was following the pricing model of Amanda Hawking and John Locke, who were the big sellers at the time, and they uh-huh. were selling at 99 cents. They were trying to get volume, and uh-huh. so that's what I did, too, and then um, when I realized, you know, my goal was to sell 1,000 copies in the six months by the end of the year because I published it in July, uh-huh. and by the end of the year, I I'd, I'd released four books by the end of the year. And I'd sold 26,000 copies of books. Wow. And so I was like, holy cow. And as stupid as this sounds, I was like, I could actually make money at this. Because, you know, right. you're not making much money at 99 cents. You're only getting 35%. So, you know, right. <laughs> that's not very much. Right. Uh-huh. And so, I, you know, I came up with a plan. So when I came up with a business plan. Because I realized I was, a, at that point, I realized I was a business. And so I came up with a business plan and, you know, a whole, um, you know, marketing plan. And and, the, and that was, you know, how I was going to raise the prices and, and how that was going to be achieved so that I didn't like it, it, to work around it. I mean, it, back then, I was in Amazon Select, which um, was an exclusive thing. But I wasn't selling very much on the other outlets at that time. And so... When you put a book for free, you got like I think you got five free days back then. And so when you put a book for free, like a couple of days, um, the algorithms were so different that once you went off free, your sales, you just all all those free downloads like contributed to your algorithms. And so like the first time I put Chosen for free for two days, I ended up at like number um, number eighteen on the Uh on the on the Amazon paid list. I was in the top 100 for over 10 days, and so wow.
0: um,
1: yeah, so you would get you know better bounce back, and so that was a good time then to raise the price. Like so, when I took it off free, I rose it from 99 cents to the wow 2.99. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and so you know just
1: yeah <laughs>
0: you know the the there's this author world that has developed uh, around the concept of self publishing. Uh, yeah. That that didn't exist ten years ago. I, right. I mean, you know, and and so just because we we're kind of going to make sure that people understand um, this that that maybe aren't just in the author world. What you're talking about is the way that all indie authors will work to try to um, expand their audience by either lowering the price of their books or making them right. free in ebook right. form, and then using the the algorithms that drive the sales. Right. And so what you're talking about is that, hey, I gave it away, and then all of a sudden I wound up at this, like, incredible high selling rate on Amazon. And yes. mean, that sounds, like, completely backwards, but um, – Right. But no, I know, right? Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, and
1: the thing is, is like if you're a if, if self-published author, is really, I mean, if they treat it like a business, and you know, a lot of a lot of self-published authors do. But we are our own publisher, and so like my books go through every step that a a big five publisher goes through. I have a developmental editor who does line edits. I have a copy editor. I have multiple proofreaders. Professional formatter, professional book cover designer. Yeah, I have a publicist, and so I go through everything that a New York Times—I um, mean, a New York um, publisher goes through. But I'm in charge; like I'm—I'm I'm the publisher, and so I'm also in charge of marketing and publicity, and and you know, keeping putting things on sale, and and you know, throughout the year. Because I don't—I'm in charge of all of it. I'm in charge of well, I have a, a publisher a few traditionally published things now. But so it's like it's it's more work to be a self published author, but you there's no one else that cares more about my books than I do.
0: Right. right. <laughs> so
1: and and the thing is is like a lot of authors don't want to deal with that. And I absolutely love it. It's <laughs> like i I do. I love it. It's like a big game because like what works what worked two, three years ago doesn't work anymore. And right. so and what works now, um, like BookBub has been a very effective, like highly effective marketing tool, but I think that BookBub is starting to lose its effectiveness. And so it's like, well, what's coming next? What is going to be the tool that self-published authors can use to right. get discoverability? Because that's the biggest issue, I think, right now, especially for new authors, there's so many books out there. Right. How do you get people to read your books? And so, um, yeah, it's it's a daunting task.
0: Now, again, Bookbub, b o o k b u b dot com, um, yes. is a, is a tool that you can sign up for. And what happens if you sign up for it? Any Joe Schmo with an email address, what happens?
1: They get a newsletter every day. Um, with the categories of books that they're interested in and they get um, a list of books that are one per like one sale book and often one free book. There's usually two per category every day. And so then they can like, they can get a list of, okay, usually they're 99 cents, $1.99 for the books on sale. And there's a lot of free books. And so then you can get those books and, and download them and read them and try a new author that you had never heard of before or you were thinking about, but, and then you can try them out for ninety nine cents and see if you like them. And so um, it's been a great um, it's been a great asset for self published authors because they can get discovered by readers who've never heard of them before. And so, um, and ideally, they'll like if they like your book and it's the first of a series. Then ideally, they will read through the rest of the series.
0: So. Right, and and also um, you know with the BookBub stuff, it's not. Only indie authors, and and that may be one right. of the issues that's kind of arising is um, there are plenty of John Jakes and and yes. you know other types of books, and I think that in some ways, obviously that's great for BookBub because it's um, you know bringing people you know with things that they're already familiar with, but I think right. kind of taking the focus away from where they got big. I mean, do you agree with right.
1: that? Right. Oh, I completely agree with that. I mean, they used to be. Almost exclusively um, indie authors, and right. now there's quite a mix of traditional um, books, which is is not necessarily um, a bad thing from the reader's perspective. They're usually right. a little higher price, um, right. but since traditional published books typically aren't on sale very much in ebook form, I mean, I guess it's good for readers,
0: but well, it's also taking it's good the- for it's good for the authors that are on the the you know the bigger platforms because right. it allows them to use that to put a book right back up to the top of the list and maybe even right. make a real bestseller list uh, just because they write their book at at one ninety nine instead of ten ninety
1: nine right well and BookBob helped me make the New York Time New York Times list um the summer with a book I had on sale um, uh-huh. I hit with um my contemporary romance it's a rom-com uh the substitute which is a right. wedding book it was right. in june prime wedding book season and i hit number five on the new york wow. times list and i was on the usa today list three weeks in a row and wow. i totally could not have done that without book bob and yeah. the carryover sales were fantastic like that book remained like in the top um 200 and 300 the entire summer and wow. so the subsequent sales of the of the next two books then were also fantastic. I mean I just that the substitute I, I would have never intended to leave it at ninety nine cents. But it was selling so well I didn't dare raise it. This was on huh. Amazon platform. I know, right? right. And yeah. so um I you know, I just left it because I considered it a loss leader because the follow through sales were fantastic on the other two books. And so right. I mean it finally fell out of the top one thousand just a month ago. And wow. so, I mean, that's con- that's a fantastic success story for oh, Book Club yeah. and yeah. for me as well. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, because and the it top 1,000 to Book Club Yeah. Well, in, in the top 1,000, you know, that sounds like, oh wow, you're sliding down the charts. But when you're talking right. about over three million books, that's exactly. still an amazingly great. I mean, that's probably still you know forty or fifty sales a day. I would guess. Yeah. 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 Like exactly. exactly.
1: Yeah, and, it's probably so, about well, yeah, in, in the U.S. Yeah,
0: uh, and so what? What I want to know is, um, you know, you've got the Rose Gardner series, which is uh, is kind of a, a gal living in a small town, and yes. she's had kind of a very sheltered life, yes. um, and and then you've got the, the wedding series that the the gambler's the newest one of the wedding series, is that correct? That's
1: correct, yes. The okay. wedding pack. Uh-huh. And
0: then you you're still doing um the urban fantasy series as well. Yes. And, well and the chosen then,
1: series is wrapped up and so is the Curse Keepers. But I'm right now I'm co writing a series with um, Well a very popular I, um author Shannon Mayer so yeah, yeah and then I wanted to start that. another urban fantasy series this summer. Um, yeah no Shannon and, I, Shannon and I have been friends online for um, a couple of years and um, I was getting ready I, you know it's, like I said I got my start in urban fantasy but if you stay out of a genre for very long then you lose all your readers and so she you know I told her that I had a new urban fantasy series that I wanted to kick off either in late 2015 or 2016 and she said well why don't we co-write a series together and then we can pool our readers together and um you know some of my readers will then go to yours and and vice versa and so that's what we did we um started writing it last spring and then we released it in october um and it and it did well um but the second we're writing the second book right now and Um, We have a lot of readers that are very
0: anxious to read it, and so,
1: yeah, I'm like, that's fantastic.
0: (laughs) And and that series is called Recombinant.
1: uh, The first one is, the book book is Recombinant. The book is, the series is called Bloodborne, which is funny, um, because um, we, it's dual um, first person, and so we each have a character, and Shannon's character is a vampire, and Uh um, I had I had like publicly said at a conference like a year before that I had no plans to write a vampire book because
0: Because,
1: like I just didn't feel like I had anything to contribute to the vampire genre because everybody else just did it so well. Um, But I, I, but I, but I uh, say that my character is actually a reporter who's, like, discovering this world, and Shannon's character is a vampire, so I and, can and get a away sexy, with that. a very
0: <laughs> sexy journalist, uh, a, yeah. a blonde, flowing-haired, yeah.
1: Short, yeah, wearing,
0: or short, shorts-wearing journalist. Yeah, <laughs> Rachel.
1: Rachel has been fun because I have always made my characters like normal people. Like, they're just normal people thrust in extraordinary situations and they're having to deal with it and and figure figure this out. And so, Rachel is the first character I've ever written that like she didn't know about the supernatural world, but she's tough as nails. Like she had brothers that taught her, you know, how to fight and how to drive cars, and she knows how to shoot guns. And so she can like just step <laughs> in and she knows this stuff. And so that's been really fun to have one of the, a character that like. Is like already ahead. Like by the time I finish a series, the characters that I started off with that were like normal people have reached that point.
0: But so it's been fun
1: <laughs> to start off there. Right, and then take right? Off. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's she, been a lot uh, of fun.
0: Yeah, she could get a lot of secrets out of whoever she needed to. At least the
1: yeah, she on the she out. does. <laughs> <laughs> she
0: does. That's funny. And and yeah. so tell me, have you have you done any? writing uh before with another writer. I mean how does that I how know. does that change?
1: Um I I Jana uh De Leon and I are friends. Uh she's a mystery author. And we realized that we shared a lot of um readers. And so um, we decided that we would team up and we would merge our world into a novella. And so she brought two characters from what her Ghost-in-Law series and then I brought two characters from my Rose Gardner series uh-huh. and we brought them together to meet in this novella. And so uh, that was so much fun. And so it was just one more way to like get new readers um, because the readers that hadn't read me then, if they read this novella, Hopefully they would like my characters and then want to read more of them. And so, nice. um, yeah. So it, and it was you know it's very successful. What we did is we did also we wrote that one. Her her series was third person and Rose Garner is first person. And so that was a big question then is like, well, what? How do we write this? So we ended up deciding to go third person. So that was strange for me to write Rose and that Kate's her best friend in third person because I'm so used to first with that series, um but we did pretty much alternating chapters um there were a couple of chapters I think that were we would write to um and that was that was incredible like we had an idea of what we wanted, and we wrote that sucker in ten days. It was crazy wow. because I would like write his chapter in the morning and I would send it to her, and then she would write another one that evening, and then I'd write the next one. Oh, and wow. we were like writing at least two chapters a day and so like a novella, it went really fast. And so right. yeah, and it was so much fun, yeah. So I and like with Shannon, um, you know, I think you have to be really careful who you pick someone to co write with because, you know, if they don't follow through um or right. whatever, um, you know, or their writing is subpar, but we knew each other's writing, so we knew that it wasn't an issue and um we're both professionals i think that's uh, the main thing we're both very professional we take our jobs very seriously and so um you know we had a schedule and we stuck to it and that's what we're doing with the second one and so we've also found like with the book that we're we're currently writing replica the second book in that series um it's a lot more fun because we're we've kind of got it down now we know each other and um like Shannon, we have a we have a synopsis, but like Shannon threw us off. Like she threw us a curveball that wasn't in there and she like literally left my character on top of a moving train. I'm like <laughs> Shannon What am I supposed to do with this? She goes, Have fun. I can't wait to see what you do So it's been a little bit of like tele the telephone game too. So <laughs> but it's like no it's been really fun because like we know these characters now and so um it's 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 been an amazing experience. I would totally do it again with someone else. In fact, I'm talking about doing um one with um um author Lila Payne. She's also Trisha and Lee um, Lila Payne is her. Um, she writes mystery and new adult under that adult, and then she writes YA under Tricia Lee. And so we've discussed writing a novella, um, merging her Gracie um, from Low Country Mystery, her character Gracie, and then um, Rose in a novella. So
0: but the, the now, problem
1: is like fitting it in because a series, an ongoing series like that, trying to fit it into both your schedules and fit it into the storyline as well.
0: So right, yeah. well. You know, um, the the thing that I notice is, I mean, uh, you, you've really struck a chord with Rose Gardner. Um yes. But then you're stopping that series. Tell me about that. What's that? About? Wow,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that
1: has been a really, really hard decision. Like, okay, so like I told you, I, I have a developmental editor, and she lives in Asheville, North Carolina. And so um, my urban fantasy series, which I had planned to start, um, I had decided to set in Asheville, North Carolina. It's going to be a spin off of my Curse Keepers series, which is set, um, around the Roanoke Island, um, North Carolina. And okay. so, um, and I, the more I started investigating areas like high incidence of paranormal activity, Asheville ranks right up there. And, um, I went to a ghost tour and I discovered that Asheville is like surrounded it's like a bowl of crystal. Like there's crystal under the city and then there's crystal in the mountains all around them. And so it's like, crystal's like a high conductor of energy if you believe in that kind of thing. And so they think that's why there's like um, a large amount of paranormal activity. And in any case, my editor happens to live there. So I met her while I was there and she knew the plots for the next Rose Gardner books. And so she told me, she said, you know, you could end the series after book nine. And I looked at her and I was like, what are you talking about?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She goes, she goes,
1: yeah, she goes, that would be a really good place to end it. Cause she knew what was coming. And I like had a panic attack. I'm like, what? <laughs> Why would I end it? <laughs> um, And I, and uh, I knew where the story was going after that. Um, And I like have been gearing up for that since uh, 36 is the book that will be out 36 and a half motives. And I've been gearing up for what happens in, After 36, since 33 and a half shenanigans, um, Rose and her friend, Neely Kate, are going to become private investigators. And so, um, and that's part of what 33 was about, was like getting the reader and and kind of trying it on for size. They solved a mystery together. Um, But I hadn't planned, at that point, I still hadn't planned to start a new series, but I keep getting reader emails and reader reviews and comments on my website, like, there are some readers that are just really pissed off that I won't end the series. And I'm like, really? oh, yeah. And so, I mean, and there's some ongoing threads that have been going on, which are going to all be completely wrapped up at the end of 36, which is why my editor uh-huh. said, you know, this is a good place to do it. And so I decided um, that I would do that. I would, like, call it an end, and then readers could be happy that there's an end, and then, um could follow to the next series if they want because all the same characters are going to be there it's just a new title for a series Uh, and then the more I got to thinking about it I thought okay it starts to get unwieldy as you know from the pub when I put on my publisher hat it's hard (laughs) it starts to get more difficult to to market book eight and book nine of a series that should be read in order you can read them out of order but you lose because each book is a self-contained mystery that Rose's life, like, flows through. And so mm-hmm. um, it starts to get a little harder to market those books. So um, okay. from a, the publisher standpoint, you know, of DGS um, Enterprises, um, it it made sense to start a new series. So then I have another book one, which is one more book to market <laughs> um, with a book club ad or a perma-free book or what have you. Um, and they can start off with that and not have to read the Ghost Gardner series, or they can. And so it just it seemed like a good decision marketing-wise to do that as well. But I'm going to tell you when I made that announcement a couple of weeks after I released the last book, um, that was one of the scariest things I've ever done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was really hard. In fact, my agent, because I have an agent, he was like why are you doing this?
0: <laughs> <laughs> because i mean you know i think that uh, from somebody from the reader you know from uh, there's two kinds of readers here i mean there are the voracious go to the convention readers um, yes. that just lap up everything and and i don't mean that pejoratively i mean that's a great thing to have people that right just
1: not exactly two
0: fans but then there are people that You know, pick up a few books, read them, have a few favorites or whatever. I mean, it's a different, it's a different type of readership that might feel like, okay, I want that one to end so another one can begin. Right. And, and, you know, because I think that somebody that's just, uh, hey, I'm going once a month to Barnes and Noble, they're going to be used to the concept of Patricia Cornwell and Michael Connolly and those kind of people, you know, keeping their characters alive for decades.
1: Right, right, and and I don't mean
0: alive because obviously you're doing that, but uh, I mean right. that's a totally different concept. I mean, is is will we see, will Rose be one of those characters that you know keeps kind of coming up in a, in different ways, or will she kind of eventually go her own way as well?
1: Um, I continue. I at this point, I plan to keep writing Rose. Like I've had people tell me that they will read rose until her funeral when she's 92. <laughs> um, we hope she gets I've, off that
0: train if that's going to be the case.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> the, and I'm like, I have always said that it's important to me that my characters are continually growing. Because, sure. like, I think that there's some authors that keep the series going because it still makes money, but the characters oh, yeah. don't grow. And if oh, you sure. read the reviews, readers – but what I find fascinating is readers get really frustrated because the characters aren't growing, but by golly, they, they buy the next book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's
0: At the same time,
1: time we're stop. I want my book, I want every book I write to be better than the last one. And right. so, um, you know, to do that, that means the characters do have to grow with each book, which means, I mean, I get like, especially like with the curse keepers, I get, um, some negative reviews because Ellie, they think that Ellie in that book um, is kind of whiny and they, they get frustrated with her because she she was told she was the keeper of a curse and she didn't pay attention. She thought it was a bunch of nonsense. And so when she was, like, confronted with it, she didn't want to deal with it. She was like, I don't, you know. And so, but by the time you get to the end of the third book, Ellie is this kick-ass heroine that is nothing awesome. – like she was in the beginning, and I wanted her, I wanted the reader to see her go from this, like, this selfish girl to this person who's become this selfless person trying to literally save the world, and so, right. um, you know, so uh, that took a lot of growth, and so, I, you know, characters are only, I think, interesting if, if they're growing, if you can see them growing, and so, um, like, all this time, Rose has still been growing, and so as long as she's growing, and I think I think we're all growing. I mean, I'm sure. I, every year. I feel like I've learned more, and so I think there's the potential for her to go on forever. Um, but you know, if I start to ever get bored with her, I won't keep writing her just because it's selling. I sure. I I don't want. I love that character too much to like compromise her sure. in that kind of
0: situation. So
1: if that and, any of that makes sense.
0: And I need to know are you team Joe or team Mason? <laughs>
1: um okay for like me personally I would prefer Mason. Um okay. but um but I have always said and people some people think I'm insane when I say this that it's Rose's decision and like sometimes I don't even know like I give her choices and then I write the scene and then I let her Decide like when I gave her the opportunity to be with Mason, I didn't know if that was going to work out or not. But I wanted that to be a to be a potential, and so um, you know, just because that's what I would prefer doesn't mean that's what I would want. So, was that a really good way to? <laughs> well, I, it get is. Out of that. I think it,
0: I think it kind of brings um, a different question to mind, which is um, someone that hasn't. Written a book, or you know conceived that i i I'm sure that they would find that to be completely weird, strange, yes. crazy that the characters become people even yes. though they're fictional i tell tell me about that
1: they my characters are very much people in my head, and sometimes I feel like I gets a little crowded because I often have multiple plots in my head, like I am already plotting a book then I'm going to start writing um next fall. And uh-huh. so like I'm always like thinking ahead to books ahead and they're always like I'm I'm somewhat plotting them in my head. But I think it's really I mean, I think part of the reason, especially with the Rose Gardner series, that that readers like that series so much is um I try very hard to make sure those characters are three dimensional. They're not um stereotypes and they're not two dimensional and they're they're flawed. You know, Rose is flawed. She makes really stupid mistakes. And right. so, but I mean, she's human. And I, believe it or not, I make a few stupid mistakes myself too. And so, <laughs> I mean, I think it's really important that there's not one character in that series that is perfect. And so I think readers then can relate with those characters more because um, of their flaws and because. Because they're real, and so you know they have to so for a character to become real like that, then i i what I do when I write a book um is I put them in a situation, and then i let i kind of write it and see how it unfolds um and you know if i try so I have tried to like force things before that I thought this is what needed to happen. And it just doesn't feel right. It just—you right. can tell when you're not taking the characters are wanting to go a different path than than what you want. And sometimes, as an author, that is very frustrating. But I'm like, that is not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed <laughs> to do that. But right. it's, it's important to be true to them. And I think—and I think it made a difference. I think that readers can sense that and and love the characters more because of it.
0: Do you – is there anything now, having published, you know, over 20 books, is there anything that you wish you could go back and write differently or a different ending or a different change? Um, is there something that just sticks with you? No. No, well, actually, it's
1: really – yeah, no. I mean, obviously, I wish that, like, um, Chosen um, was, like, the first book I wrote after my NaNoWriMo book. Um, Sometimes I think about going back and, and fixing the writing some because I've grown quite a bit as an sure. author. But sure. I d I don't want to take the time and people don't complain about the writing. So uh-huh. I mean, you know I mean? <laughs> so I don't think that's really an issue. Um and I mean I think if there was one thing I could change that would be it. Um but uh, the story is is seems pretty compelling. It's like it's a paranormal thrillers Pretty much what it is, and so once people read it, they usually like hooked and they they read it to the end, like they have a hard time putting it down, so I consider that that a success um I don't know that I don't know that there's anything that I would do differently um you know, I might have started ri tried to release Rose books um sooner than a year apart, but um, I'm also kind of a believer in fate, and it was it was. It was Rose's time when it happened. I just I feel like that when it all when it all started clicking and selling, that was when it was supposed to happen. And so, sure. um,
0: yeah. So no, you, I
1: guess not. I I like everything the way it happened.
0: Okay, well I've got a I've got a different couple of questions for you. Tell me who are the authors that really made a difference in your life? Who who do you really like to? And I'm going to divide this into two parts, but. <laughs> Kind of that the is people so hard. You started you know, before you started writing <laughs> 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 Well good.
1: <laughs> uh, I know. You're so mean. Uh, I feel like my children know. Um I you know what? When I was a little girl I was addicted to the little house on the prairie books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stupid, And I read those books over and over and over and over and became obsessed with them and, like, um, make believe them. And so I think that was, like, the first time, um, like, you know, I always read. And I think that was one of the first times I really thought about the fact that I could create my own stories like that. And so um, I think that made a huge difference in my thought process of going from a reader to an author um as for um you know and in or i guess you're looking for like has there been an
0: influence for me
1: well um, you, can,
0: you can define that like you want to was it somebody you just devoured their books was it someone that you found, found some style in i mean you can tell me how you want to interpret that
1: I, no i'm like a very eclectic re- reader and so there's just so much, um uh, Stephen King was a huge influence on me, I think, and I think that's part of what influenced a little bit of my chosen series when I started writing it um because uh-huh. i I used to like really read everything I could of his, and um and I was very much into paranormal and you know, I read Twilight and um you know a a bunch of other paranormal books, but like I said, I'm also very eclectic, like I read Patricia Cornwell <laughs> right. and you know a bunch of romances and and so um, I think there's a lot of it together, and so i think and I think that you know eclectiveness of my reading also played into me as an author because I have a lot of genres. You know, most authors have a genre or two, and I have, you know, urban fantasy, and I have a mystery romance, and I have um, a contemporary romance, and then I have a new adult contemporary romance, and then I have a YA sci-fi, and now I'm going to have, in June, I'm going to have a YA romance, contemporary romance. And so it's like, um, in a way, that was kind of dumb on my part, because (laughs) I'm like reaching multiple Readers, like audiences, and they don't mix. They often right. do not, their worlds like butt up against each other and they don't, they don't like mix. And uh-huh. so that's been a challenge because like my Rose Gardner readers are very resistant to reading urban fantasy. And sure. so, um, so like I'm having to market and promote myself to different audiences. So I'm like spreading myself out. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I didn't do a pin name. I consider doing a pin name. Yeah. And I'm glad I didn't because I I feel like I can in a cover I can convey what genre it is, and so readers can then decide. Okay, well this is a Denise Grover Smith book, but it's a, it's a you know paranormal or urban fantasy, so I'm not gonna
0: right. I'm not
1: gonna read it. Although I have an assistant, I have a. Um, a readers' community on Facebook, a Facebook group that's got like 1,100 members. And my assistant, Jamie Davis, she is like my pusher. And so she's like forever encouraging the Rose Gardner, because most of them are Rose Gardner readers, to try my other series. And so she gets right. so excited when someone reads Chosen or The Class <laughs> Keepers and loves it. And they're like, that's not my genre. And they still love it. <laughs> Right, right. um, And I I find it exciting too. And so, um, I think that all of that reading, like when I often when I write a story, I come up with a plot, and then I was like, oh, well, what genre is it? So (laughs) so, it's not necessarily smart business wise. I'm just going to put that out there. (laughs) Business wise, that's probably not very smart.
0: Sounds like like, a good problem to have to me. Yeah, Uh, exactly. so, (laughs) So just to keep that thought going, but take it in a little different direction. Who are some of your contemporaries that you really enjoy reading? Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> well, that's easier. Um, I love Jana J. Leon, like for Mystery. Um, her books, her Misfortune series, I absolutely love it when she has a new release. I am like reading it the day of release. Um, also, yeah, Lila Payne, she has her Low Country Ghost series. Same thing. Um, I think it's I think part of it is that it's similar to my Rose Gardner series, and so it's got some humor, and it's they're both set in the South, and so you've right. got those southernisms and stuff. So that's another one. Um, but for like urban fantasy, Shannon Mayer, I absolutely love her her two series, her um her um. Her, um, Riley Adamson series and now her Elemental series. I'm, like, when release day comes, I'm, I'm buying it. And then <laughs> another one for Urban Fantasy is Melissa Olson. She's a 47 North author. Um, I really like her, her series that she has. And so those are some that, that, yeah, that I'm reading. And then and recently, like, for Contemporary Romance, I just recently discovered Jill Chavez. So, um, I'm, like, pouring through her back list. <laughs> <laughs> they're
0: reading that, yeah. So, how much do you yeah, read?
1: like I said, I'm very eclectic. Yeah. So, yeah. like, when I read YA, I mean, if you look at my Goodreads, it's like it's a hot mess. I read a little bit of, it. <laughs> and I usually go on binges. Like, I read a whole bunch of mystery, and then I'll switch to urban fantasy, and then I'll read some YA and stuff. So, um,
0: yeah. And so, I mean, how much do you read in the midst of of all the writing that you do?
1: Um, I I really think it's important to read, and so um, every year I do the Goodreads challenge, and I challenge Uh myself to read 52 books a year, which is not necessarily that much, Um, but Uh it's about a book a week, and um, I count novellas in there, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so, um, yeah, no, I, and I, but I don't, like I said, you know, well, like you said, you know, finding time to read, and so I read on my phone. I got a new iPhone um, 6 because it had the bigger screen.
0: Because uh-huh. I could
1: read, because I read on my phone. And so, like, when I travel, I like, can take off and landings. I can read on my phone. Uh, carpool line, like, I pick my kids up from school. I can read in the carpool line. I read in bed on my phone. When I go to bed at, like, one in the morning, I usually read for about a half hour before I go to sleep. So, oh. um, yeah. So that's how I can get it in. And then usually, oftentimes, I'll hit a book, a point in a book that I just, like, absolutely love. And then I'll, like, shirk my responsibilities for, like, Um, part of the day and finish it Uh (laughs) it's like a pound of brownies in the kitchen I'm like you know I should just eat these and get these out of the way and then I don't have to worry about it
0: so (laughs) one of
1: the
0: the things that um, I think is very interesting is you I mean I guess this would be self-explanatory but you write a large number of words every day tell me Tell me about that. I try to
1: um I try to yeah. write at least three thousand words a day, um but towards the end of a book, like the words I can't keep up and so like it's not uncommon for me to write anywhere from five to eight thousand words a day as yeah. I'm reaching the end of a book um the the my record so far um and this was not something I would ever care to do again. Uh, my book's The player is um, the second book of the wedding pack series. And I knew the first draft was crap. And so I sent it to my editor with a huge apology, begged uh, her not to fire me. Um, and this is an indie book, um, but you know, I high pay her to, <laughs> to edit. And then um, I knew I had to rewrite the last half of the book and I had two weeks to do it. And I was in England. I was on a, um, a tour on a book signing tour um, in England. So, I came home um, from that trip and I ended up writing 40,000 words in five days and it was wow. brutal. It was brutal. It was like I still had jet lag and so I was like taking advantage of that. Like I was almost like on a reverse newborn baby schedule <laughs> because I was like sleep three or four hours and then be wide awake and so on and I just write until I got exhausted again and my poor kids, they hadn't seen me in like two weeks but I'm like, I'm falling asleep on the sofa at seven o'clock and then waking up at eleven at night, and then my oh, older okay. children is like put the little ones to bed for me, <laughs> and <I'm> like writing <laughs> writing till three in the morning and sleeping till six and then writing some more and so yeah wow. um but i I'm very deadline driven, and so I have to have a deadline or I will just piddle around with a book, and so I usually okay. take about thirty days to write a book um first draft uh-huh. from beginning to end and so the first of the book is often like when I'm trying to figure the characters out and it's often you know a couple thousand words a day in there and then once I hit the middle, I I usually start writing anywhere from four four to six thousand words a day and so uh-huh. yeah and it just seems to work better for me that's the process I mean it's not done I have to go and then revise it and edit it um after it goes to the editor, so um, yeah, it's definitely not done. It's not readable <laughs> at that point. So, <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, needs, it still needs work, but yeah.
0: And so, if you were giving some advice to to that gal or that guy that decided to finally sit down and write a book, um, what would you tell him?
1: You know, the best thing about NanoRimo was that it made writing a habit. Uh, you know, because for 30 days, you've got to reach this goal. And so to do that, you have to write pretty much every day to to do that. And so I think that a lot of problems with new authors and people that are trying to like finish a book is life gets in the way and you have to make writing part of your. Schedule it's like exercise you have to fit it in and and i kick out exercise right. but <laughs> but you know i think it's important you know if if i don't write or if i'm not revising something is missing like it I, I feel like anxious like there's no i'm supposed to be doing something and i'm not doing it even if it's a schedule like often i'll give myself a week off between books or while it's at the editor or whatever and it doesn't feel right I'm missing something, and so right. I think it's really important that they make it part of their schedule. Part, it's it's got to become priority, or it will take them literally years and years to write a book. And the problem for that, with with that, for me would be I would completely forget what I wrote in the beginning. Like I've tried right. to write a book in eight weeks, and you know halfway through I'm like I don't even remember what I wrote in the <laughs> beginning. I have to like keep rereading it to refresh myself. I I think that's part of the sprint of writing for me is it's all still really fresh and it's all very organic often and it's just like coming out at the same time so um i think it's just really important to make it part of their life otherwise it's going to be something that they just that they just um it's going to take forever to finish
0: and it's kind of a different question did you um Enjoy those vintage burn T-shirts that I gave you at the yeah <laughs> yeah
1: yeah <laughs> well, I did yeah thank you <laughs> well good
0: uh, tell tell everybody what those are
1: oh the shirts that you gave me you know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I you know I I had been looking at getting some t-shirts of my own for some of my books and so um, yeah you had those shirts and I was like totally fascinated with the graphics of those and stuff yeah, they're, so they're all,
0: they're all from the early 1900s
1: yeah uh, very
0: flowery and and have uh, basically toasts on them uh, you know different here's to the here's the stars and stripes the land of our birth the American girl the best thing on earth that sort of thing so. Uh, yeah. And, enjoyed them. You seem to really like them. So.
1: Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, well, Denise, um, tell tell everybody where they can can reach you.
1: Um, I have a website. Um, it's so easy to remember. It's DeniseBrothersSwank. dot com, and I'm all over Amazon, iBooks, uh, Nook, Kobo, and Google Play. If they want to um, check out my books.
0: Uh huh. So, and um i'm also on
1: facebook i'm all i'm very i love to be on facebook so i'm very chatty so they can find me there and twitter um, and instagram and pinterest so
0: okay well you've got all the bases covered and and tell us what is the next book that will be under the the denise grover swank uh, imprint
1: um I am super excited cuz I am working on a new mystery, for a new mystery series. Um, okay. um the series is called Magnolia Steel Mysteries, set in the Nashville area, country music. And um its the first book is called Center Stage. So, I'm really okay. excited about it. Yeah. Well,
0: then you then I have to ask you who's your who's your country music fix? Who who do you enjoy there?
1: You know that's so funny because I'm not really a country music fan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) But I I
1: lived in the Nashville area, and I was fascinated because almost everybody who lived there was either an aspiring songwriter or an aspiring musician, or they were in the Christian music scene because they're like kind of like all there together. Right. And so, um, yeah, it was like I was totally fascinated by that world. And then I became a huge fan of the show Nashville. And right. so um so I kind of use that as some inspiration too. So mm-hmm. um and then I loved I lived in Franklin, Tennessee for three years where the book is set. And so um I seemed like a really great place to put it because it's also very southern and like um the one thing that I found there is that everybody's like very much into presentation. And so, um, like my Rose Gardner series is set in the south, but it's more like they're not as um I don't know, like as Rose and her friend, as you know, like people in Rose's world would call it highfalutin. They're just right. normal, like people. And so, like in in this book, that you know, it's like when you prepare for bunko. Like I, I wrote a scene, uh, a bunko scene where they have a bunko night, and you know, I had a bunko night when I was there. I hosted it. It took me two days to prepare for it to <laughs> cook and have everything ready. And it's all about <laughs> how it's displayed, and it's like a big deal. And you're like totally judged. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I knew I could have a lot of fun with that with that whole area by doing that.
0: So well that's yeah. great. Well, I yeah. I enjoyed very much having you on here and um Well, thank you. Best of luck and I'm just really uh glad that that maybe some new listeners will get to hear about this and and go pick up some more of your work. So
1: Yeah, that'd be great. So
0: thank you. Thank you.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: All right. Okay, well, that's good. I will cut that up into probably two parts, and, okay. um, you know, I'll give you plenty of, you know, I mean, I'll I'll send you when I'm putting it up, and, awesome. um, you know, if you can throw it out there and talk about what we're doing, that would be great, because uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I, uh, yeah, I,
1: no, it's fun. I love doing podcasts. I really
0: do. <laughs> well, cool. Well, all right. Well, thanks, and I'll talk to you later.
1: Okay, sounds great. Okay, bye. All right, bye.